morning is from Matthew 3, verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him in all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Amen. Let us join now in our second hymn. It's in the New Century Hymnal, number 120.
hands, will you join me in a spirit of prayer? Holy, holy, holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each and every one of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, O oh God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever had a moment in which you feel completely known and seen? And maybe this was with a coach or a mentor or a teacher as they said something specific and affirming to you, making clear that they really knew you, the real you. Or maybe this was in a relationship with a partner and they said something to you that made clear that they truly knew you, or really saw you, the real you. Or maybe this was with a friend as they sat with you in a moment of pain or confusion, as they said something that made clear that they really knew you, the real you. Think about what that feels like to be truly known and seen. And beyond that, what it feels like to, from there, be loved. Because it's one thing to be truly known and seen, and it's a big deal, being that vulnerable with another person or people, such that they know all those parts of you, not just the shining parts, but the unpolished and the tarnished parts too. But it's really the thing that comes next, that can make or break our lives as social beings, it's the thing that comes next after the vulnerability and the knowing and the seeing that's a really big deal in terms of how we live our lives as social beings. After being known and seen, what comes next? We wonder, are we loved? After being known and seen, after another being sees the unpolished parts of ourselves, we want to know, are we still worthy? Are we loved? Are those vulnerable parts we've shown used against us, or are they accepted and affirmed as part of the whole person that we are, living in the human condition? This is what I think about when I think about how God relates to humanity. God knows and sees all those parts of ourselves, all those lovely, shiny parts, that compassion and creativity and laughter and joy are caring parts. And God also knows and sees all those other parts of ourselves that are sometimes hidden, our stress, our confusion, our hurt, our anger, our anxieties. And knowing and seeing all of that, God chooses love. God chooses unconditional love such that nothing we can do can separate us from that great love. God chooses love. God chooses us. Moves closer to us, calls out to us, sticks with us. God chooses us. And here's the thing. When we humans, when we hear that someone or some entity is choosing us, what is the next thing that we do? What's the standard human response? I think for a lot of people, we bask in that joy for just a moment. And then this imposter syndrome rolls in like a Mack truck and has us doubting our worthiness at every turn. For those who might not be familiar with that term, imposter syndrome, I imagine you're unfamiliar with the term, but not the feeling. Let me give you some examples that might ring true. It's like this. Imposter syndrome is like being a new parent and thinking, yeah, this child loves me, but am I at all qualified for this role? When will the other shoe drop? When will this all come crashing down? Imposter syndrome is like being in a new relationship and thinking, 
yeah, this person says that they want to be with me, but am I at all worthy of that? When will the other shoe drop? When will this all come crashing down? Imposter syndrome is like being in a brand new job and thinking, yes, this job is what I trained for and I'm happy about, but am I worthy of this position? When will the other shoe drop and when will this all come crashing down? But here's the thing to know about God. God chooses us, not as these perfect, flawless, sinless, shiny people. God chooses us in the wholeness of our humanity, in our whole embodied humanity, in our human condition. God chooses us as this people whose back ache after shoveling snow. God chooses us as these people whose arms go wide open to greet one another in a loving hug. God chooses us as people who labor away during the day, typing or sawing or cooking or writing or sewing with our hands. God chooses us as a people whose hearts beat in time with one another. God chooses us as a people whose minds think creatively about how to solve issues of injustice, minds that are sometimes flooded with sadness or exhaustion or frustration or full of joy, God chooses us. God knows us, sees us, loves us, and then chooses us. God chooses us so very much that what happens in our Christmas story is that God sends Jesus Christ, just like John the Baptist said would happen in this morning's scripture, sends Jesus Christ, God incarnate, God with flesh on, to dwell among us, Emmanuel. And now let's talk just a moment about who this John the Baptist figure is. He's this prophetic figure who introduces the story of Jesus in all four of the Gospels. In Matthew and Mark and Luke and in John, John the Baptist is there preparing the way for Jesus. A voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And there's a theologian, Ben Worthington, who describes John the Baptist like this. He says, he dresses like Elijah and he sounds like Isaiah or Amos. And in the Gospel of Matthew, as in the Gospel of Mark, we're given no inkling that the two men, John and Jesus, may be related. It's interesting as well that in both the Matthew and the Mark accounts, John is introduced to us as the fulfillment of Isaiah 40, verse 3. John the Baptist. He's there in this morning scripture. He's calling for repentance. And the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. Can we say that together? Metanoia. One more time. Metanoia. And this Greek metanoia, it means a great deal more than just verbalizing an apology or a recognition of sins way back when. Metanoia is so much more than that. It's about a rebirth into an entirely new way of living. It's about turning a whole new chapter, about turning away from an entire past way of being in the world and saying yes to a whole new way, in this case, through baptism. And we'll pause right here for a little historical context note because the baptisms that John the Baptist was doing, those were for people who already believed in the biblical God and God's word. And these people, maybe Jews or Jewish leadership, and this baptism was about confession, metanoia, being cleansed. But the Christian baptism that comes later on in the scriptures that we hear about from Paul, that was a sacrament and an initiated rite converting to following Christ. So that's what this morning's scripture is saying. It's saying that John the Baptist is speaking to us with this urgency of Advent. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. 
is coming, for Jesus is coming. But God doesn't first send Jesus as this powerful baptizing with fire figure that John the Baptist talks about. First, God sends Jesus as this tiny little baby in a manger, as someone born in the lowliest of places, as an infant without voice or power or rights, as one of the most vulnerable people in any society. God comes as one of the most vulnerable among us, and later he grows, as John the Baptist says, into Jesus whose powerful ministry changes the world. But why? Why? And this is the question for the ages. This is the question for many a Trinitarians and many a people following Christ throughout the world. Why send God to earth in Jesus? Why have God be part divinity and part humanity all mixed together in Jesus? Why? And this is up for debate among theologians and different convictions are held among different people of faith. And all of these stances likely hold a bit of truth and a different angle of truth. And we'll explore more of all this in the spring when we talk about theories of atonement and what happened on the cross and in the resurrection. But today, in Advent, as we approach Christmas, let's think about the birth and the ministry. Why? Why did God send the divine and human Jesus to be with us? And today I offer you this, that God incarnate in Jesus is a part of this action of God choosing us. That Jesus comes to us as a relatable figure, somebody who eats and sleeps, who has skin and hair. This is all a part of God reaching out to us. Jesus came in a body because we humans really know what that's like to have a body. We know the joys and the excitements and the aches and the pains. Jesus incarnate, God in a body, is very relatable us. There's this implicit understanding of the human condition in Jesus that is so different than how we might conceptualize this grandness of a creator God or these fiery movements of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus, we have perhaps a more relatable figure. And when we relate to someone on the most basic level, we can start to get to know them, to see them, to love them. We can start to get to know Jesus as God incarnate, we can start to understand what it's like to be exhausted from teaching and healing and working all day, just wanting to retreat in quiet prayer. We can start to understand what it's like to have a close group of friends, but also to experience betrayal. We can start to understand what it's like to not be fully affirmed in our hometowns. We can start to understand God's work in the world through Jesus in a way that is sometimes so challenging to grasp when we talk about the big G, God, who breathed life into creation. Sometimes we just need to understand God as Jesus, a person with divinity and humanity all mixed together, a person with parts that are shiny and less shiny, similar to our own. We can get to know and see and love God incarnate when we approach Jesus. And in doing so, in loving Jesus, we can also grow to know and love God, the Creator. We can also get to know and love the mystery of the Holy Spirit. We can start with the part of the Trinity that is perhaps most like us in this time of Christmas, the part that walked among us, Emmanuel. We can start with Jesus. We can start with knowing and seeing and loving Jesus, understanding that God knows and sees and loves us right back.